Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections Radio Show and Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Lorenzen. We're zooming in from our offices and Kara Nowicki is producing the show at Phoenix Business Radio X studios inside Max 6. Collaborative Connections is a radio series to bring entrepreneurs, nonprofits, and associations together to build relationships, foster collaboration, and build a stronger community together. Our hope for today is that listeners and guests alike will walk away with a golden nugget or a new resource for their business, or maybe both. (laughs) Today, I have the honor of being in the studio with three amazing people that I'd love to introduce you to. Welcome to the studio, ladies. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So excited to be here. Alyssa Samuelson, thank you for joining us. You are one of my clients and I love highlighting my clients. And so I invited you to the show. So tell us a little bit about you and your business. Yes, Kelly, thank you so much for the invitation. This is great. Um, So I am a Phoenix and Scottsdale area realtor. I actually own my own company. I'm the designated broker of Success Real Estate Group. Our office is located in Scottsdale. Uh, but we service the entire Valley area. We have been in business since 2004. I've been the designated broker since then. And I have a team of agents that I work with. Um, We work with sellers, we work with buyers. We service landlords who have rental properties and need to find tenants as well. So it's definitely been an interesting span of years to be in real estate. It seems like it's never ending, never changing. So it's exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> the roller coaster. I was in it a long time ago and the roller coaster just in seven years. I can't imagine for as long as you've been doing it. <laughs> the ups and downs. Thank you so much for being on with us. Allison Stein, the founder and financial advisor of Stein Wealth Management. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. So grateful to be here today. Tell us and- a bit about yourself. Yes. Um, So I founded Stein Wealth Management um, last year during the craziest year ever, but I've been a financial planner for about eight years. So I work with individuals. I help them through, you know, kind of the three phases of wealth, how to accumulate assets, how to distribute them and how to transfer them. Um, So oftentimes that's planning and saving for retirement, but it could also be uh, planning and saving for our next home purchase, for sending our kids to college. So I'm grateful to work, you know, one-on-one with individuals, help them plan, help them budget. Um, and really the end goal is setting up different investment accounts so that they can achieve their goals and have some more clarity when it comes to their finances. Um, really like to educate and empower individuals so that they understand and they have that peace of mind during these crazy times and, you know, and, and onward in perpetuity. So very grateful to be here. Love to support other business women as well. Thank you so much. I know in, in this, in last year's craziness, it's, it's an amazing feat to, to make it through that. So congratulations. And, and especially being in it as long as you have, and then going out on your own, it's a big step, but it's worth, worth the effort. I can tell you <laughs> after 18 years of, of being on my own. <laughs> Tammy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank 
Thank you, Kelly. I'm really excited to be here. I loved what Allison said about uh, empowering people because that's what I'm all about too. So I'm with Brightside Mortgage and I founded this company um, in 2018. So just in April of 2018. So we had our three-year anniversary. I've been a mortgage broker in um, Arizona since 2005. And before that, I, was, I worked for banks. So I've been originating loans since 1998. So been around it for a lot of the roller coaster. And I've been on the roller coaster with Alyssa since 2005. That's when we actually met. So we've seen a lot. We've experienced a lot. And, um, you know, 2020 was crazy. But I would argue that 2007, 8, 9, we're all crazy, too. <laughs> Yeah, I can second that. <laughs> yeah, so what a what an honor it is to get to have a partner that long, right? In the real estate industry, especially, have somebody you can count on your real partner to, you know, be able, you know, they're going to take care of your clients, and that's a big that's a big deal that you guys are working together that long. Absolutely, it's been great. Tammy, Tammy is someone that I have trusted now for what sixteen years. I think we've worked together. I know that when I refer a client to her, that they are in great hands and I do not have to worry or stress about anything because I know they're being taken care of. So nice. So nice. Speaking of the last uh, roller coaster <laughs> over the last year, as we're on the top of the roller coaster, uh, roller coaster, I think, or we're still going up. Tell us a little bit about the market. What's the pulse on the market, Alyssa? Compared to 2007 and 8, or just what's going on today? Just in general. <laughs> just in general. Okay, well, it's crazy. And I could probably just put a period at the end of that and leave it at that. Um, it has definitely been interesting the last, I mean, almost exactly the last year. You know, it. we had a little bit of a blip when, um, you know, COVID kind of hit the streets here and um, things started shutting down. For maybe about 10 days to 14 days, the market went a little bit silent. And I was actually encouraging my buyers at that moment because the market had actually already been competitive for buyers. And I was encouraging them in that 10 to 14 days, like this is this is like your chance. This is your chance to go out and try to compete to find one of those houses that only has say three or four offers on it instead of like the 20 that we're seeing today. So a few of them took advantage of that. I am so glad that they did because they're sitting in great positions now, a year later. As far, from that point on, from that 10 to 14 days on, we've really just seen the market ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. I mean, we're seeing um, multiple offers on houses. As soon as a house hits the market, it's full of showings for the first day or the second day. There's no availability to schedule. It's just a little... It's a little crazy for sellers. It's great for sellers. It's great, but for buyers right now, it can be it can definitely be a challenging market. Um, our prices are increasing dramatically. I mean, month over month, we're seeing a, a positive appreciation here in the Valley area. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what continues if the snowball effect continues down the road through the end of 2021. If it does, I might actually argue that 2020 2021 is a crazier real estate market than 2020. We don't, so far, I think it's been a little bit more, it's been stronger than 2020. So if it continues in this in this path, it's definitely going to overtake 2020, so. Oh man, so if you have the right uh, people in place, right, the, the right referral partners, as I say, I'm real big on, on referral partners and power partners. If you have the right people in place, 
then you're fine because you know you can help each other figure out the plan, what the strategy is, you know, know the market, understand how to, you know, how to play the game, how to negotiate. So you need somebody um, who like you who've been who's been in the market a really long time, who knows the deal, you know, and have the, the partners like Tammy, I assume, uh, you know, that can give give you the what you need on the mortgage end and Allison to help, you know, make sure everybody's solid for for that side of it, I assume, all helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, having a group of trusted advisors when you're purchasing your, not necessarily even first home, but first home or second home or however many homes it might be, um, having that group of trusted advisors surrounding you and covering all aspects of what you need to be considering is absolutely imperative. You definitely need to have those professionals. Um, Typically, for most people, buying a home is the biggest investment that they'll make in their life. So knowing that you have the support and the ability to rely on those trusted advisors is very, very important. Absolutely. Tammy, what's the market look like on your end, on the mortgage side of things? Well, interest rates are still near those all-time lows. We Everything's much more affordable when interest rates are low. However, because prices are have been increasing so much, it's still a struggle. Um, we have to be... Uh, available to switch gears on a, on a dime. Alyssa and I have had to work in connection with one another. Just this whole collaboration is so extraordinarily important because just even in the offer process, we have to talk about appraisal waivers and loan contingency waivers, which we never were talking about a year ago, right, Alyssa? I don't even think that was even an an option. But now we've had to shift gears and uh, just look at all kinds of different ways to get people into homes. And, you know, from our standpoint, interest rates are so low that we want people to be able to put as little down as possible so that they can move their wealth around and let Allison help them with the rest of their money. But a seller wants to see an offer look really strong. So if I have a client, for example, that could put 30% down, they could put that on their their contract to make them more competitive. And if we can get them qualified without so much down, then they can keep more of that money in their pocket. So we we just have to be so flexible and then work together in collaboration just to make sure that we can get those clients into the homes that they they need. And having that and having that knowledge is so huge. Allison, what about you? What, you know, with the real estate market and mortgage rates being so low and everything going on there, how does it affect uh, the financial side of things? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, obviously throughout 2020, when we're looking at the stock market overall, immediately in March, we had that pullback, right? And there were a lot of what I do is helping people to, you know, behavioral coaching, really, to, to look at the long term. And people can get so emotional with their money, of course. And you know, is there harder nest egg? So, you know, it was keeping the course there and writing things out. We had a, a crazy good year last year overall when it comes to returns. But, you know, a lot of people, if we're talking about interest rates, you know, it, it becomes um, difficult when we're older and we want to look at more safer investment options because those bond yields are not going to provide what they did, you know, back in the 80s. We have a lower interest rate environment. So, how do we maintain, you know, the the assets there to to not just get them to the point of being able to retire, but you know, last throughout, you know, their the longevity. A lot of people are living much longer these days, so you know that's that's been something that's been around for quite some time, especially this past couple of years with interest rates getting much lower. 
um, making sure that we can still maintain the principal, but, but get enough growth, get enough return for them to be able to live off of those assets. So it's very emotional. You know, you, you got to make sure you you're diversified. You've, you've got things planned out for the long term. So um, a lot of what I've done over the past year is just ensure that the clients are diversified. They do have that strategy to maintain their principal. We make sure we don't pull out, you know, in, in the uncertain times that that we have a well-rounded strategy and we can combat what's to come. Um, and I've had a lot of clients too that, you know, they've they want to be a first-time home buyer, but you know, it's it's competitive. It you know, you need to, to have a lot out there. And I know that's created some more difficulties. I know that the inventory's been less, but you know, I've still seen a lot of clients that have been able to utilize that and get their equity, move into a bigger home now that they have multiple children or whatnot, um, when they have those good partners, just like Alyssa and Tammy. So you know, I'm all about that is looking at the whole strategy, the whole picture. I never want to just look at, you know, one component to it and have a transactional relationship. I'd much rather build that, you know, that whole plan over time, have those trusted partners to utilize to ensure that every part of that financial plan is taken care of. So, um, you know, it's, it's been rewarding now being on my own, being able to have the ability to truly customize what that looks like, nothing being cookie cutter, you know, not, not pushing one product over the other, but what's best for the client. And that's what we need to focus on when it comes to, you know, any business out there, but especially when we're dealing with finances, real estate, mortgages, you know, all those good things. Absolutely. I love that. That That's one of my favorite things. I've been an entrepreneur for so long. I get to do what's best for the client, right? You get to choose how to, how to treat people and not have to be, you know, um, I'm sure Tammy, you're seeing some of that owning your own now you get to make all those decisions, right? Some can be overwhelming, but I assume it's really rewarding when you get to make the right decision for a client, right? It is. It's one of my very favorite things. It's just like Allison was saying about the empowerment. I just love that phrase. I know it's cliche a little bit, but it's really what we're all about now. Mm -hmm. um, more people want to understand what's happening. And you don't want this to be a, a process where you, you don't know what's going on and you don't want somebody just telling you what to do. You want to know why. Why do I want to do this? Why does it make sense for me to put a little bit less money down when interest rates are 3% so that I can uh, diversify my investments more clearly? And that's why, you know, we work with with the whole big picture also, just like Allison does. You want to make sure that everybody is making a decision that's best for them. I thought it was something that you brought up, Allison, was interesting about the bond market and how that's uh, you're not seeing those same kind of yields. So from my perspective, I love it when the bond market um, is doing what it's doing because that means I can uh, I can get really low interest rates. But for an older person, I could see where they would want to put their money into something that's safer. So how, what kind of... Um, I'm wondering from Allison's perspective, from the real estate part of the person's portfolio, how does that play a factor? Do you think that it's better for them to put less money down when money's cheap? It's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's different and we really want to get down to the nitty gritty with each situation. But um, but yeah, you, you really want to look at the overall picture. Where can we get the growth on those assets? How is this fitting into your picture? You know, looking at a younger individual when we've got plenty of time to pay on this low, low interest rate, that's good debt to have. We're building our credit, you know, we're utilizing it. When we're looking at somebody that's, you know, maybe further on in their career or closer to retirement, that might be a different scenario. So 
Exactly. We want to see, you know, it's, it's the same type of thing when people are, you know, trying to pay down debt. We really want to look at how we can utilize different interest rates and take advantage of that. So yeah, that, that can definitely be a strategy to consider, you know, looking at those little interest rates, stretching that out further, having the ability to then have other assets to invest, you know, and, and again, that diversification, um, you know, younger individuals, Roth all day, if we can get that tax-free growth, that tax-free distribution, we're going to be diversified in taxes as well. So yeah, yeah, it's, you know, all things considered, we want to, we want to fill all those different sections, you know, somewhat evenly and look at the overall picture, but that, that can be a great route to go. Including, I assume, you know, having the rental properties, Alyssa, can you talk a little bit about that part of it? I bet you see a lot of people investing in real estate as part of their portfolio. Can you talk a little bit about that part of it? We we are. We're definitely seeing people, um, interestingly enough, and in, in, at least in the the niche market of Scottsdale, we're seeing a lot of people right now trying to buy properties and then use them as Airbnbs or furnished rentals. Um, so that's another kind of hot topic that's going on right now. But um, with rent rate, the rent prices, the um, average price per foot of rents have also been increasing in line with the average price of average price per foot of um, a purchase home. So we're seeing rents increase as well. And in a lot of these cases with the 3% um, debt to or debt ratio or payment that they have to make on the property, um, we're seeing where the rents are higher than what their actual debt service is. So they're able to cover their debt and make a little bit of money. So basically walking into an income producing property. Now with the level of how quickly prices are increasing on the buy side and the purchase side, I'm not sure how long that's going to necessarily continue because at some point when our prices get up so high, even with that 3% interest rate, it's you're going to be getting closer to not being able to cover the rent um, if you don't put a substantial amount of down payment down. So we'll have to see what happens um, further down the road with the market um, in re with regard to that. I will say that the 3% interest rate, I think, is one of the biggest factors that's driving our market right now that's driving the market conditions that we're in, where we're seeing buyers coming out underneath from any everywhere, not only locally, but we're seeing them nationally, we're seeing them internationally coming into our market and wanting to buy because that 3% interest rate is so unheard of. People realize it's going to give them so much higher buying power. They're going to be able to purchase a property that's more expensive because their payment is less than it would be if rates were higher. So that's definitely a driving factor in the market that we, in the market conditions that we're in today. Um, in addition to some other things, simple, simple supply and demand. We just don't have the inventory out there for the number of people that are looking to buy, the number of people that are moving into the area. Um, so those two things kind of coupled together with having a supply issue and demand being really high, and then the low interest rates are really two of the biggest indication indicators of why we are in the market that we're in today. Yeah. I, and I read something recently about how because of the whole, uh, well, we read it all the time, right? In the last year, because of COVID, people are moving to places that they can spread out, right? So moving from New York and places that are really, you know, all combined and condensed to places like here that you can spread out, be in, you know, your own home uh, and have, and now with all of us being home so long, we're like, oh my gosh, we need more space. <laughs> we, need, yeah. we need a room for the for the kids' office and our office and everything. So I, I'm sure that 
is also a huge uh, factor of people just wanting more space because they're home more. It is. I mean, it's definitely with everybody working from home, not, not everybody, but a lot of people working from home, it's almost become the new normal. And so with that, you know, if they're, if it's a family, possibly they need two offices, you know, one for husband, one for wife, and then they still need obviously the, the number of rooms that they need for the kids. So we're definitely seeing a lot of people wanting to do move up buying in this market. Uh, where they're just wanting to get into something bigger. We're also seeing a little bit where there's um, some generational uh, families. We're seeing older parents moving in with um, younger families. So with that, people are needing more space as well. So so we kind of have it from that angle as far as demand um, as well with people wanting to get into bigger properties. But with the remote working, it's allowing people, like you said, from New York, um, from DC, I know is one of the big areas, Chicago. I just read a stat that um, Miami is having a lot of negative migration. We're seeing a lot of people coming from bigger cities that may not have the same um, weather, you know, climate, beauty. I mean, we all know Arizona is such a beautiful place to live. People wanting to, to really live where they want to live, try something new, try something that has more nature, something that has more space than being stacked on top of each other in an 80-story building in Manhattan. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people with the ability to really move to where it is that they want to live because they can now work remotely. So that's also really increasing our demand here. Uh, we're seeing very strong forces coming from outside. California has been huge as well. People coming from outside of our state, just wanting to come into Arizona. The other thing that's been great about Arizona is it's so affordable. So when you're coming from California, you're coming from New York, you're coming from Chicago, Arizona is so inexpensive. Even with our prices having increased as much as they have, for people from those specific areas, we're still kind of a deal. You know, if you're an Arizonan and you're trying to move up or you're trying to buy your first home or you're trying to get into a bigger home, it's we're not we're not really seeing it as a deal because we're used to Arizona, you know, we're used to pricing in Arizona, but we're not coming from San Francisco. You know, we're not coming from Seattle. So um, I definitely think that that has had a huge impact on our demand as well in this current market. Absolutely. And even in construction, you know, my husband's always owned, uh, you know, used to be residential, now commercial electrical. And it's in, they can't get the help. So then they can't build the house, that, you know, the new homes, right? So so I keep encouraging our young people, you know, like think about a trade, you know, because everybody's going into tech. Think about, you know, you'll always have, I mean, they're always going to need people in trade. So having that ability, um, you know, pushing that a little bit to, uh, you know, to our kids and, and the younger generations of, hey, like I know, Allison, you, you help a lot of teachers, right? So what are we teaching our younger generations of what we need? We need the, the uh, labor force, you know, to be able to build the houses. <laughs> That's probably another big factor, I assume, especially in Arizona for the lack of inventory. Mm -hmm. We have about a 9% um, disparity between the incoming migration in Phoenix and the number of houses being built. So there's we're 9% we're short on what builders are building to be able to keep up with the demand. So that may not seem like a lot, but it's a lot. It's nine per, That basically means one in 10 people don't really have, I hate to say they don't have a place to live, but they, they, they don't have the ability necessarily to find the exact property that they want to live in, whether it's honestly renting or buying, because the renting market is so strong too. Mm -hmm. So until the builders can really get caught up, and like you said, they're, 
they're struggling to have enough people to do the work because everybody's so busy and there just aren't enough contractors out there that are licensed. You know, there's a huge issue with the price of lumber right now, which is also affecting the new build market here in Phoenix and, you know, across the nation. So that's definitely putting, those two things are definitely putting a damper on the ability of builders to build as quickly as we need them to be building. Uh, you said, speaking of rents, um, according to, to you, Tammy and, and Alyssa, what are you thinking right now? What are you suggesting to people? I guess even Allison, you know, what's the, because of the market, because of all those things we just talked about, is it better to, to buy or to rent right now? I'd love to have you each answer that from your perspectives or what you're telling people. Well, of course we, it's definitely from a financial standpoint, um, obviously better to buy right now than to rent. Uh, Market rents right now are very high. I think, let's see, I did have a statistic. I think the um, rent in the 85024 is what I pulled, was $2,510 for com- comparatively to a $450,000 home that you can buy in that um, zip code. So your, your savings is enormous because not only are you going to have appreciation over time, you're also saving money on taxes and you're also saving money uh, or, or gaining saving money on the monthly payment because your monthly payment is fixed other than property taxes and insurance over time but your rent is going to increase over time so um, I just did a projection for 10 years the average net gain by buying a home even with small appreciation is two hundred seventy five thousand dollars so it's I mean from a strictly numbers perspective I can't even and that's at a three percent interest rate. I mean, I just I can't I can't tell somebody to rent right now. It's just even I know it's hard to find a house, but if we can find any way to get you into a house, you don't have to have a huge down payment. I mean, typically I don't know. Do you have to pay first, last, and deposit now, Alyssa, on a rental? Um, typically you just pay first, um, okay. first month's rent, which would be your security deposit. And then there might be like a cleaning fee and pet fee, but no, not typically in our market do you pay uh, last month's rent up front. Okay. Well, even at a, a starter home, $300,000, for example, you can get into it for $10,000 down. So that's just not that much more than having to pay that first month and deposit. And then you skip your first monthly payment when you're purchasing. So, I mean, that's that's most of the money right there. That's $7,500 towards your $10,000. I mean, it's it's still, it's a good deal. So if people could come up with the money and they can pull loans out of their 401ks. Now, Allison, what is your opinion on pulling money out of a 401k um, as far as a loan for a down payment on a home? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an option. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because we want to make sure that those dollars are there and they're compounding, but you know, it can still be a good route to go because yes, you should buy, you need to build that equity you know, the easy way out is I'll just rent another year. I'll just rent another year. So when I see someone in that situation, I really want to peel back all the layers and go very deep in their budget and show them how they can afford to save and make something that's systematized. Let's put away X amount per month, you know, for the next year or two. And let's, let's get that down payment accumulated. A lot of people can't comprehend that if they're not used to having a large amount in savings, all they have is their 401k and their paycheck to paycheck. Like most people are. So it can be difficult to, to comprehend that. So I'd prefer, you know, to, to help them get there by saving and getting in that good habit. And then that even gets them, you know, a leg up once they are paying that lesser mortgage comparative to renting. Now we can save more in the bank, 
you know, and long-term savings and whatnot. So um, it's nothing that I'd ever recommend, but it, it is, you know, it is definitely an option. Um, all things considered, of course, I thank your financial advice. Um, but, but yeah, you know, it's, there's usually very low interest rates to do that. So that can get you that down payment. Um, we want to make sure we pay it back so that we're not paying the taxes. We're not paying the penalties, of course. Or if you have a Roth IRA, you can access the principal after five years. So that would be a better route. So we're not paying, you know, interest or taxes or penalties. But yeah, let's let's get them there. Um, I, I want people building equity. I want them buying. Um, as long as they have a good realtor and mortgage broker and we can make it happen. Um, but I know so many people, they, they're in that predicament right now, right? They're like, I want to buy, but I am so scared. I'm going to wait it out. Or, you know, I'm I'm going to rent for another six more months and hopefully everything falls into place. It's never going to be perfect, but let's plan it out. Let's get you there. I don't want you paying $2,400 in rent when we can pay $1,800 in your mortgage, right? And we're building that equity. It's so, so important that we start young, we build that up, we get in that good habit. So, um, you know, to, to answer your question, Kelly, definitely helping people to, to find the way that they can buy, you know, even in this competitive market. Because, you know, on average, we're still going to see that growth, like Tammy said, in, in the equity, we're still going to have uh, the low interest rate and, you know, be able to accumulate that asset for them. You know, Allison, without going um, into too much detail here, can you just expand a little bit on um, the Roth IRA and what can be um, borrowed and what, what the terms are, how that works? Yeah, if, you, you're, um, if you've contributed to a Roth, if you haven't have had a Roth for five years, what you've contributed, the principal becomes accessible after five years. It's the growth that we need to wait until 59 and a half. And a Roth is after tax. So when we take the money out, we're not taxed on, we're not paying income tax. If, if we've had it open, we're not pulling with a penalty. We're not paying that tax penalty, that 10% penalty. If we say that we withdrawed from a 401k, like we were separated from the employer, we just cashed it out. We're going to pay income tax and a tax penalty. So it could be upward of 40% straight to taxes. Of course, if we are loaning against our 401k, that's different because we're loaning against ourselves and we're paying it back. But a Roth, you've had it open for five years, principal is now accessible. So I can take it out. Whatever I've contributed, I put in 5,000. It's grown to seven. The five is the principal. That's mine now and I can use that. So a Roth, is a very good option because it, it allows us access before 59 and a half. Um, so, you know, if, if anybody that, you know, once you're 18, I'm telling everybody, get that Roth, even if you're doing 50 bucks a month, the most you can do is 6,000 per year. But once you're making um, 125,000 um, as a single filer, we can't do a Roth IRA anymore. The IRS limits us. So starting young and at least getting, you know, as many years as we can out of those contributions, those contributions are accessible after five years. So as long as we've had that open five years, that's money to use. And that's often a place that people will look to help them with that down payment. Okay, great. That, that's great to know. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everyone needs a person like you, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> Love to help. <laughs> well, it's huge to even know because, you know, most of us, if we're not in the industry, we don't know to think, I mean, we may have a financial person, right? We may have somebody that we're like, oh, we're supposed to invest. So we just give them the money every month. But if, what about, you know, oh, we want to buy a vehicle. Oh, we want to buy a house. Oh, what about this, right? Where do we pull from is, is uh, instead of, oh, I have to save the money, right? You know, I have to have it in my savings account. You know, I mean, I'm aware of all the things, but I would never think to ask, you know, oh, can I use my principal and my Roth? I mean, 
it just wouldn't even come up in my brain, you know? Um, the other thing I heard recently is, can you take money out of your life insurance and use that and then pay yourself back that way? Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a policy that's not term, if you have a term policy, it's just like car insurance where all we have is the protection. All we have is the death benefit. If we have a permanent policy, that could be a whole life policy. That could be a universal life, a variable life, like an index universal life where it's not set on a term. A term would be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, pure protection, cheapest option. A permanent policy is as long as you pay the premiums, it's in force. Um, so yes, you could have cash value that accumulates in that permanent policy. And that too is like a Roth where it is accessible tax free. A lot of policies have a vesting period. So you can't pull the money out day one. Um, a lot of times it's either 10 years or 15 years till you're dollar to dollar matching up. But before that, you still have, and as long as you're putting enough into it, you still have the cash value component that is accessible. There's no retirement restrictions around it. Um, and those loans self-complete when the policy, you know, when, when the individual passes away and the policy pays out. So we don't necessarily have to pay the loan back, um, but there is an option to do so if we want to still have that cash value there. So yes, that is a, a definite place to go as well. If you have that cash value component that is accumulating, um, a lot of people will start with a term when they're younger to cover the balance of their mortgage or any other things they need to protect. So it's usually debts, um, income replacement, and then legacy. And then a lot of term policies have the ability to convert it without going through underwriting and everything again to that permanent policy. Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't go away when we're, you know, 50, 60, 70. So it's there, you know, throughout retirement. But yes, cash value can accumulate there. And that is accessible, tax-free, um, penalty-free, as long as we've hit that um, vesting point. And every policy is going to be a little bit different. That's huge. Isn't that great to know? I mean, even for our kids to say, okay, when you're 18, open your Roth, you know, we could start their life insurance now, right? Do all yeah. these things. And start. My son is um, already invested in the stock market, but thanks to his grandma. <laughs> She's like, what she loves, she's uh, like Warren Buffett, she, her financial person calls her. <laughs> she likes did, all he, that. did he pick his own stocks or he how did, did. he? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they looked at all of the different ones. He's in Tesla, Facebook, and something else, you know, like the big app okay. or ABC, the new one's ABC, I guess. Anyway, so I'm like, he's 15. He's going to be so well diversified. He like, he has coins, you know, already because he's like, there's a coin shortage. So I need that. He's already got the thing. And I'm pretty soon he'll be buying a house at 18. That's smart. Good for him. That's impressive. Yeah, it's good to have the variety though, right? To to show them that there is a variety of ways you can save, whether it's you know cash in the in the safe, um, you know, or and you know investing in in real estate, investing in in yourself, and all that. So that's it's it's nice to hear that there's so many options, and that you teach these you know teach people that, right? I'm sure Tammy's like, ooh, I can tell them this many more things. <laughs> Tammy, where are you seeing um, for for our clients or your clients in general? Where are you seeing the majority of people pull cash out for uh, their down payments? Is it are they just in savings accounts, or are you seeing people utilizing um, life insurance policies, Roth IRAs? Probably the most popular one is the four hundred one k loan. 
if they don't have the money in savings. But honestly, I've seen a lot more gifts lately from parents. Uh, I, there's this trend where people are saying, wait a minute, I don't need to have a big wedding. My parents were going to pay for a wedding for me. Um, each of my parents now wants to give me $5,000 for a down payment. So that's kind of a little trend I've been seeing with a lot of my younger clients, which I'm loving, you know, especially when people, well, we're going to buy a house and we're not even married yet. And when we want to get married, we'll get married. So that's kind of something I'm seeing with those 20 somethings where nobody's in a rush to have these big major weddings. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that are still doing that, but uh, these are not necessarily wealthy parents that are gifting these money, these monies. These are just regular people saying, Oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to help you with this investment here. Let me give you this gift of $5,000. I've kind of been saving for a few years for you. So um, that's where a lot of first-time homebuyers are able to find money that they didn't know they had. It's just by asking their parents or the relatives, grandmothers, um, grandparents, uh, another good source of gift funds. 401k loans, like I said, pretty popular because they are paying themselves back. And so, and I have not, I did not know about the Roth IRA being that way, Allison. So that's going to be a super helpful thing for me to tell people, because there's a lot of times people will come to me and say, I know I'm not ready yet, but what do I need to do to get ready? And then just, uh, hey, take a look at what you have in that Roth IRA. And, and let's see, maybe you are ready right now and you just don't know it. So that's another great, um, that's a great piece of information I'll pull from this day. So thank you very much for that. That's awesome. Well, shifting gears a little bit, a lot of uh, my clients, most of my clients are entrepreneurs and small business owners. So as three of you, small business owners, uh, tell us uh, how the, how you shifted gears over the last year. Um, what, you know, what lessons did you learn last year that you'll move forward this year? I ask everybody that. What are we, what did we learn last year that we're taking into this year as far as a business ownership goes? I mean, I, I would say for me is it's to always expect the unexpected. And um, I think from a business perspective, that just means that, uh, you know, at, at times, and I'll just speak for myself, you know, at times I probably in the last few years was um, very comfortable with where my business was going and how it was running and it was succeeding and we were doing great, but it was the status quo. And then suddenly we got a curveball. And so being able to adapt and adjust um, almost on a moment's notice uh, with something major is, is definitely um, something, a good learning experience, I guess I would say. Um, I think that, that we might have been a little too comfortable in um, our business and how everything was going. And it was, actually kind of, it was actually kind of cool and exciting because with this pandemic and with the, the market changes, it gave us an opportunity to really shift and do things differently and brainstorm. And it, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was a little scary in the beginning, but as things, you know, started, the dust started to settle a little bit. Um, it got to be exciting because here we get to, you know, we get to do zoom calls with clients. Like I've never done that before. I mean, I was trying to organize clients together to do like a happy hour for zoom, just so that everybody could see each other. I mean, we're going to houses and we're using FaceTime to uh, tour houses and show clients because they aren't comfortable leaving the house. So it was all about getting, really getting creative. It was kind of exciting. I mean, I feel kind of bad saying that because I know that COVID has been a serious issue um, for a lot of people, 
But I think it also presented opportunities as, you know, as small business owners, as people in general, you know, for the world, it definitely presented some opportunities that we hadn't, we had the chance to um, look at and, and make some changes. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I totally love that that thought of, you know, growing through adversity, a lot of times we, we get comfortable, you know, we're in our routine, but sometimes we just need, you know, something to happen. Of course, and I, I never hope that it's something bad, but something to get us evolving and, and getting more creative. For me, everything I did was in person. I never did a, a virtual meeting. Obviously I had phone calls here and there, but I was driving all around the Valley. Um, I was getting gas like every week and that was just the norm. You know, that was it. I was face to face belly to belly with prospects, clients, and, and that is such a great way to build relationships, but you know, we've all adapted now. We can do things quick to, more quickly. I can run a lot more meetings without, you know, maybe driving around and, and um, having that commute time. So I, that was a big shift for me, having to go from all in person to mostly all virtual. I've done a couple in-person things safely. I, I can't wait to get back to in-person, um, of course, safely, but um, that was a big shift for me, but, you know, it was a challenge. I, I had to adapt. I had to evolve. And it also, like you said, gave, gave me a chance to reevaluate with the business, you know, reevaluating what's, what's the long-term going to look like? What do I need to focus on? But also on a personal basis, I was working all day, every day, and I didn't have much balance in my life. And when everything happened, I was working from home and I realized that it was back to back to back to back to back no time to go pee, no time to eat lunch, you know, <laughs> and that was my norm. And, and I was like, you know what, I need to be more intentional with my time. I need to, I still need to work hard, of course, and, and be available, but I also want to have some balance. So for me, at least it, it gave me that chance to reevaluate, adjust my schedule, make sure, you know, I'm working out enough. I'm, I'm, I'm there spiritually, you know, I'm, I'm able to be present in my interactions so yes, um, you know, it was a very tough year and very sad for most, but I do think it did create some opportunity. It gave me a chance at least to, ref to reflect and to adjust and, and ensure that, that things are suitable for the long term. Um, so, you know, it was definitely a change, but all things considered, a new opportunity to, to evolve and, and view things a little differently. I agree with both Allison and Alyssa. It was the same experience for me. I was also just everything was in person, not everything, but um, we were still going to, you know, signings and meeting with clients and uh, having clients come to the office. And so it was just that same thing, a lot of driving and a lot of time outside of the office. So this whole virtual thing has been a good shift in a lot of ways because it, you can get a lot more done. It is a bummer that you don't get to meet the people in person. Uh, I can go through an entire transaction and never meet a person, which is so strange to me. Uh, but it has helped as far as, you know, the, the work-life balance and just being able to spend more time on, uh, I just have more time in my day. Also, it's, you know, from a standpoint, it's better, uh, it's, it's, better for the environment that we're not all driving around all day. So there's always that. Um, and, you know, more time with my family, being at home. Um, also, I'm so thankful that we didn't, we, when we started the business, 
um, mortgage used to be kind of a brick and mortar business. You would have a big office and you'd have all your employees and you'd have all this overhead. And uh, what we decided to do, because in 2018, the writing was on the wall, it's going to become much more virtual. We were doing so much more uh, via electronic signing and that type of thing. So we just decided, let's not invest in the big brick and mortar. Let's keep the overhead low. And I'm very thankful that we did that because then we didn't have to worry. All of our um, all of our employees already had the ability to work from home and work remotely. So it wasn't that much of a shift. Thankfully, we didn't have to uh, turn the ship around because we do have we have 14 people here. And so to not have to um, shift everybody outside of the office, we already had all of that infrastructure set up. So, you know. I am sad that COVID has happened. I have hated the fact that we can't have our interactions with our clients, but you know, you always try to look at the bright side and see where the silver lining is and everything. I love that. I, I, that was my whole big thing last year is like, find the silver lining, right? Keep, keep looking, keep finding the silver lining. So I love Alyssa. It's like light a fighter, light, light a fire under you, right? Because you get complacent you get, you know, this is routine. This is, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this forever, right? And so you get kind of in this groove, but it's nothing, you're not pushing yourself or you're not, you know, taking it to the next level. So I love that perspective. And Alice and the, the life work-life balance has been huge, huge for me too. I think, and for a lot of people, you know, who are business owners and, you know, in service, in the service-based industry, right? We're having uh, you think you have to be face to face. Most of my clients from last year, I haven't seen in person, you know, so, uh, and we've done just fine. And I say now I can help so many more people because I'm not driving to, you know, clients offices. So now I can like spread my wings to more, to help more people because, you know, because there's not that downtime of, of driving. So I love that. Great, great tips. So moving forward, looking forward, um, some tips for uh, anybody who's thinking about buying, uh, who's thinking about investing. Can you give us a few little nuggets? Alyssa, I'll start with you. If you're considering it, if you're on the fence, what can you give the buyers and sellers out there a, a tip in this market? Well, sellers don't necessarily need much of a tip because I feel like every single house sells, you know, normally in a normal, quote unquote, normal market, with someone wanting to sell their house, uh, and, and I, we, I still do this, assuming that it's not there's not a COVID um, situation going on, but going to meet with the sellers, look at their house. You know, we might tell them to paint the lime green bathroom a neutral color. You know, we might stage the house a little bit. You know, do some things, maybe have them make some repairs. That was that was back in the day, I can say. In this market, I just met with some clients yesterday who were thinking about selling the house, and they, it's been a rental for 15 years. It's a, it's been in the family for 50 years, so it's not in horrible condition. But I mean, it's not updated. Um, and the whole point of meeting with them was, hey, do we want to like gut this house and make it beautiful and sell it for top dollar, or do we just want to sell it as is, kind of a thing? And my recommendation to them was to just sell it as is. I mean, because the market, everything is selling. And I said, even if you sell it as is, the price per square foot that you're going to get is going to be so incredibly high. Like you're still going to be walking away with a lot of money in your pocket. 
without having to do the whole headache of managing contractors, doing the remodel, and they live out of state too. So, you know, that adds a whole other layer of difficulty with managing um, a large remodel. So in this market for sellers, they really aren't having to do a lot. They don't have to expect a buyer to ask for a lot of repairs either during an inspection period. And if the buyer asks for a lot of repairs, the seller can say no. And if the buyer walks, they can the seller can just move on to the next buyer because there's probably five to 10 in line behind the buyer that they chose. We have been saying to sellers, to people who own properties that are kind of kind of like the dog, dog properties, like an old rental that's kind of like beat up and like, you know, that they're they haven't sold in the past because they've been worried about the number the amount of cash that they've needed to put into it to really get it ready to, to sell. We're saying if you have something like that in your back pocket that you've been considering to sell, now is the time. Get it on the market. It's gonna sell. You're not gonna have to do a lot. It's it's you're gonna be in a great position. So for sellers, life is good. For buyers, there's there's lots of things that um, buyers can do to try to compete in this market. But a couple of the, the biggest things I would say are obviously price. So we're in a situation where I have not seen a house sell for at list price or below list price, and I do not know how long. Um, I haven't even seen a house sell for five to $10,000 over list price. I mean, we're talking... I showed a house last week that was $60,000 over. I showed a house last week that was $100,000 over the list price. So setting buyer's expectations of, hey, whatever this house is listed at, the price that you see on the computer, on the piece of paper, moot point. That's just a starting point. That's just where bids are starting. So you buyers really need to be prepared. And this is difficult for a lot of buyers, but they really need to be prepared to offer over list price. And what I've been telling them is that you need to go up to a number where if you went $1,000 more, you would become physically ill. <laughs> that is how you need to compete in this market. Because I've had buyers who missed out. You know, I, you know, I recommend, say the house is listed at $400,000. i am recommending that they offer, let's say four, four thirty-five. And they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I really want to go that high. You know, we can go that high. We can. That's the key. But they just don't, they just aren't feeling comfortable doing that. So say they offer 425 and the house sells for 430. They now have missed out on that house by technically 10,000 because they offered the, the 425 to the 435. And then they have buyer's remorse. So these buyers, when they see what houses that they that they made offers on, what they actually sell for at the end of 30 days, they're having buyer's remorse because they didn't go higher. And that's what I'm trying to explain and trying to coach with them is you have to you have to go up to that dollar that really makes you makes you not have buyer's remorse for losing it, but also makes you not have buyer's remorse for getting it. So if somebody gets it at 435. They can't feel guilty. They can't be like, oh, well, could I have gotten it at 432? They need to be comfortable that they're paying 435 and they need to be comfortable that they didn't lose it if it sells for higher than that. So it's it's this whole mindset. And when you're dealing with first-time buyers, um, that's definitely a struggle. When you're dealing with people who've bought and sold a lot of houses in markets that aren't like our market, that's also a struggle because they want to find a deal because that's what, how they've bought real estate before. So it's it's definitely a, 
it's having to shift the perception of the buyer's mind the moment they walk into my office or walk into my Zoom call, I should say, and say, I want to buy a house. So, yeah. And getting the, and getting the expertise from you, from Tammy, from Allison, you know, from the, from your financial team that says, okay, this is the max you can go without hurting yourself in the long, you know, long run and pointing out the different things. Like, well, if you rent, if you, you know, or this or this, right. And giving everybody the option is a, is a huge deal. Uh, can you believe we are so close to a whole hour of, of talking and connecting? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? <laughs> um, shifting gears for the last couple of questions. Uh, tell us a little bit about community involvement. Uh, you know, I love, uh, I'm a philanthropist at heart. I said, I want to be that when I grow up. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're involved in, in the community, what you love and support. Anybody want to go? Yeah, I can start. Um, well, I'm an active member of the Tempe Chamber of Commerce, which is how I got introduced to Kelly. And although I haven't been involved, haven't been involved that long yet, um, I know that I will be for a very long time. I can't even remember not being a part of it. It's like just ingrained in my week over week. Um, so I, I love being able to, to be a part of the committees, the different events that that help the city um, and help the other small business owners there. So that's a, a new endeavor of mine. Um, I've, I went to the University of Arizona, so I've been involved with the Alumni Association. Bear down. Bear down. <laughs> for, yes, um, there with you. <laughs> for quite some time. Um, I've, I've served on multiple boards. I'm currently the co-president of the Phoenix Cat. So we raise scholarship dollars for students who are attending the University of Arizona. We do a big golf tournament every April. Um, it was postponed and then to this year and then postponed till next year. So April 2022. I uh, would love to see you all out there. Um, so yeah, I, all the proceeds go to help um, local Phoenix students who are graduating from high school and attending the University of Arizona. I've, I've also been involved with New Pathways for Youth. I've mentored an at-risk youth, helped her um, graduate high school. She's now in the medical field um, following her career dreams. So for me too, I, I love the community involvement. And that's been the biggest thing for me now being um, independent and being in my own company is having the time to devote to that because that's part of the balance for me. I need to have the community involvement. I need to be able to give back. Um, and, and for me, I, I love to, I, I love to be involved in everything, go deep, serve on boards. Um, so, you know, I, I'm all about that. How can I better others? And, and everything always comes full circle. So those are a couple of things that, that I've been involved in as of late, um, always looking for new ways to give back. That's exciting. I love having you part of the chamber. I've been Tempe Chamber member for probably 15 of the 18 or 19 years I've been in business. So <laughs> it's a it's a great organization. What about you, Tammy or Alyssa? Any favorites? Well, I was actually on that. Sorry, Tammy. Should I go? Okay. Go. I was actually on that Phoenix alumni board as well, Allison. Um, a few years passed though before your time. I did my six years on the board. So I definitely remember lots of fun days at the golf tournament. It's unfortunate it did not occur last year or this year, right? Last year, I don't think it did either. No, no. Um, lots of fun memories. So yes, I have tried to stay involved with uh, the University of Arizona Alumni Association as well. And I also uh, am a life member of the Fiestable Committee. So I was a current member for um, six years with the Fiestable Committee. Um, and as part of that, we had the opportunity to raise funds and the Festival uh, Committee actually distributes those funds to different nonprofits in the Phoenix and actually in the state of Arizona. 
So it's a great organization. It's a great nonprofit organization that supports other nonprofit organizations. A lot of the other nonprofit organizations that it supports have to do with uh, kids and education. So it's definitely a great, great organization. And then beyond that, I'm a huge animal lover. So, you know, anything that I can do to help um, Lost Our Home Foundation, which is actually a, a shelter in Tempe that was started during back in the day when the market was was tanking, I guess you could say back in the day when it was low, it was started to help people who were being foreclosed on and, and were losing their homes. And they would take in their pets and keep them sheltered until the people were able to get stable and back on their feet. So they're still doing that. They work with the Sojourner Center um, in domestic abuse situations with uh, keeping people's pets. So it's a great organization as well. Tammy, what about you? Uh, well, I'm currently uh, involved with the Arizona Association of Mortgage Professionals, and we've been working on trying to get out there and do some community outreach and some, and we started to do some things last year when everything sort of fell apart with COVID, but I think we're going to get back involved with the community. But from our company standpoint, we have kind of adopted the St. Mary's Food Bank this last year, just because they have needed so much help. In the beginning, they weren't able to get the volunteers. And so we gathered volunteers and went over there and helped. And then of course, we're just supporting them financially. Um, just during this COVID thing, it's been really important. And I honestly can't go to sleep at night imagining that a little child is out there in the community without having a full belly. So that's kind of where, where my heart lies. And then of course, I'm a huge animal lover too. So not only do we adopt pets all the time, but we do support the animal shelters as, as well. And uh, I used to be a Girl Scout troop leader and one year Halo had lost their van. They got it stolen. And so my little Girl Scouts got together and, and they we got to tour the facility. They gave all of their um, cookie earnings to the Halo Animal Shelter, which was really special. So. Oh, that's so nice. Good connection. I, I love, if I could give money to everybody <laughs> Just, I keep trying to sprinkle it, you know, like my time and money. I just keep trying to sprinkle it everywhere, hoping it like will like the butterfly effect, right? That it just keep going. <laughs> well, I've loved having all of you on. Uh, for those listening, tell us how they can reach you, uh, full name, business name, and how they can reach you. I'll start with Alyssa. So my full name, Alyssa Samuelson, uh, brokerage name is uh, Success Real Estate Group. We're located in Scottsdale. Uh, you can find us online at www.southscottsdalehomes.com. And my email is also alyssa at southscottsdalehomes.com. Uh, office number 480-945-1111. But if you'd like to reach me directly, which I would love, my cell is 602-622-0488. Thank you so much. What about you, Allison? Allison Stein, um, company is Stein, S-T-I-N-E, Wealth Management. So that's the website, steinwealthmanagement.com. On there, my personal email is listed as well as my office line and my cell phone. You can also um, schedule an initial consultation. I don't charge to meet, and I really just want to help people. Whether you have zero financial plan, whether you've been planning for 30 years, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to review things with you. It all starts with the budget. So diving deep into that. But um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well, Allison Stein. Thank you. What about you, Tammy? I, my full name is Tamara Fisk-Schulz. 
And I'm with Brightside Mortgage. Our website is www.brightsidemortgage.net, all spelled out. Um, phone number is 602-953-6500 for the office, but my cell phone is 602-348-4151. And I'm Tammy at brightsidemortgage.net. Thank you all so much for being here. I loved having you on the show. You've been listening to Collaborative Connection Radio Show and Practice, sponsored by KLM Consulting. KLM is a business development firm with over 18 years of award-winning business savvy. KLM helps small business and entrepreneurs through consulting, marketing, and project management. Get more time to do the things you love and build a thriving business with the help of KLM. Tune in on the third Thursday of every month at 1 p.m. Until next time, happy connecting. Mm-hmm.